last speaker is Danielle Rasnik. She is a senior research fellow in IFPRI's Development Strategy and Governance Division. Danielle. Okay, thanks, Rajul, and good afternoon to everyone. So the previous presentations have emphasized that for rural revitalization, we need to strengthen rural-urban linkages. We need to think beyond the farm and invest in agri-food system transformation. We need to invest in gender empowerment and rural electrification. This is an ambitious agenda, and it certainly requires engaging much more with the private sector, but it also implies a broader role also for the public sector. Um, and so particularly thinking about the critical aspects of governance and institutions for revitalization. In this, in this uh, chapter, uh, we focused on three components of governance. Um, first and foremost, we focused on legal and regulatory issues, um, and particularly looking at the rules, regulations that are needed to create an enabling environment to encourage investment across the rural urban spectrum. Katarla was pointing at me to actually go to the presentation. <laughs> um, and so here, we need to think about how we can actually uh, balance the trade-offs between encouraging innovation while still safeguarding the rights of the marginalized, of course, protecting the environment, creating not just jobs, but particularly decent jobs. So the certain initiatives that we're familiar with, including the Enabling Business of Agriculture initiative, where we've got actually nice comparative metrics now on the regulatory environment with regards to seed, fertilizer, ICT, and water. Um, but we also need to think, as we're talking about an agro-industrial uh, agenda, you know, the role of industrial policy and the ways that governments can ensure that such inv investments are done in a uh, sustainable and ethical way. We also need to be cognizant that regulations need to be balanced by both being predictable um, for investors so that you don't have frequent changes in rules and regulations over time, but that they're also updated at regular intervals to reflect contemporary circumstances. So some of you may be familiar with uh, the influx of pesticides going on right now in the Sahel. Uh, as patents have expired under the WTO, countries like Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, they have more than 100 generic and counterfeit pesticides um, with really detrimental impacts on, on environmental and human health. Um, and one of the key reasons for this is that you have very outdated regulatory regimes. We're also learning more and more that with urbanization, the supply chains for food are lengthening uh, from farm to fork, and you have a greater uh, propensity for foodborne hazards, and this really is requiring governments to rethink food safety regulations. Of course, regulations are not really effective if governments can't enforce or implement them. And so the second component we look at in the report is state capabilities. Um, this includes technical skills of bureaucrats, financial resources, and particularly incentive structures within the organizations that civil servants operate. So a number of organizational settings actually create too many distortions, allowing frontline service providers to engage in too much discretion in implementing services. Um, others actually foster this notion of isomorphic mimicry, where you have bureaucracies that have the outward facade uh, of a functioning entity, but when you look below the surface, um, you have a lot of informal, opaque, um, and often suboptimal decision-making going on. We've seen a number of really innovative public sector reforms happening over the last decade, uh, particularly in the African region, that allow us to think about ways we can strengthen state capabilities. These include pay for performance contracts. Um, they include presidential delivery units, 
increasingly devolving um, certain functions in health, education, and agriculture to subnational governments, um, and particularly performance contracts between bureaucrats um, and their, their line ministries, where bureaucrats have to commit to particular performance indicators, and they face some type of sanctioning if they don't deliver. One of the most notable of these is Rwanda's Imihigo system. Um, here you have the district-level governments actually have to deliver annually on a set of indicators, um, and then they're audited annually to see what share of those indicators have actually been achieved. And then those who are the best performing uh, receive some type of award. Here are some of the mayors on the top from the 2016-2017 Imihigo process. Um, they receive not just kudos from the president, Paul Kagame, but the results of this auditing are actually published to the public. So the public can see how did my district actually do. And so that links to our third component we look at in this chapter, which is downwards accountability between governments to their citizens. Um, this is really critical, as was noted earlier by Schengen, um, to really ensure that policies and expenditures actually uh, reflect citizen priorities. Competitive elections have traditionally been the key um, element of accountability, allowing citizens to, to sanction or reward politicians for good or bad performance. Um, there's a large body of research that now shows competitive elections are linked to higher expenditures on education and health, um, linked to reduced distortions in the agricultural sector, um, and also linked to higher caloric intake. But in addition to elections, we've seen opportunities for harnessing more of the ICT revolution, particularly as we've seen, uh, as you can see on the bottom here, a growing access, even in low-income countries, to mobile technology, also growing access to internet access. A number of really interesting innovations going on. Um, one includes uh, Twawiza. This is a uh, civil society group in East Africa. They use crowdsourced data from mobile phones. Um, to track performance of governments in East Africa with regards to certain services in health and education. Um, some other innovations we've seen are in Tanzania, uh, where the government's trying to pilot, pilot uh, uh, mobile phones to collect tax revenue from smallholders and try to reduce some of the um, corruption that has occurred with kind of human revenue collectors. Uh, in countries like Zambia, using mobile technology for rural citizens to pay for waste collection so they don't need to travel long distances to actually go to uh, the civic center uh, council governments to pay for these type of services. So overall, I think with rural revitalization, we have a really ambitious agenda. And I think actually achieving this on the ground um, requires attention to regulatory and legal regimes, to state capabilities, and to accountability, not just as an afterthought, but really being central to the entire agenda. Thanks very much.